to you. Lord, we thank you for this day, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That was one of the best children's lessons I have seen in a long time. Thank you. That, I, got, I was leaned into my wife and said, i got to write that one down. Someday I'd like to use that. So, um, And just so you children know, just to back up what he said, is that if you, don't, if you don't use the right sunscreen or you don't use the right strategy, then uh, it can be just as devastating because you think you're covered. I used to have a friend uh, who, um, you all know my feelings about baseball caps. <clears throat> this is one of the reasons. But he thought he was, he did a lot of outdoor stuff and he used a baseball cap. And uh, sure enough, he did not get skin, skin cancer on his nose or his face. However, the tops of his ears had to be cut off. So I, when you see me with my funny wide-brim hat, that's why. I, I, don't, I don't play around with baseball caps. It's too much of style and not enough cover. <laughs> that said. <laughs> so we went to, at family camp. We went fishing a little bit, a little tiny bit. I threw the hook in the water probably about five times or so. Um, but uh, as Brother Jeremy can attest, he had to throw his son in there to get the hook out of the out of the rock one time for me, and um, I, I I noticed I think reading the Bible can be like that for me sometimes. A thousand people could drag a hook, including myself, over the same bank, the same part of a of a river, and be able to get their hook out with no problem. And then all of a sudden it gets hooked on something. There's no rhyme or reason. It's underneath the rock. It's in a branch that's been there for 40 years. It's but whatever. The hook is stayed, and now you're stuck. You got to figure out what to do with it. Uh, you guys have endured uh, a lesson I brought last time over Ephesians chapter 5. I was stuck on that thing for probably two months, pretty near two months. I could not get off of that chapter. There was just so much in every single verse. And every time I went to my quiet time, I just feel like I wasn't done. I had to go back. Well, as soon as I got done with Ephesians, I hit Deuteronomy chapter 5. And uh, right then we were doing family devotions. And in, in family devotions... Uh, there was a, a chapter there, or several chapters, specifically talking about uh, the Ten Commandments and how few people know them and how few people follow them and how few people understand how important they are. And, and this was written by a Mennonite lady. I'm sure you guys know who she is, if I could remember her name. I can't right now, but uh, it's a devotional book that written by someone we know. And... Um, and she just really stressed the Ten Commandments, and we kind of talked about it as a family a while, and sure enough, that was when I, I started reading Deuteronomy chapter 5. I highly recommend going through there and just thinking about those verses. Uh, but that got me on a course, I, and it's been probably three, four months, maybe, maybe a little less than that, um, that I've been stuck on this chapter, and I, I feel recently I've been able to move on. Thank God. <laughs> now, now I'm in Deuteronomy chapter 7. So <laughs> I will just keep going until I can figure it out. But um, Deuteronomy chapter 5 had a few thoughts I wanted to share with you folks. I went through some of the word studies of, those, of that chapter, some of the things. But of course, no conversation about Deuteronomy chapter 5 or about the Ten Commandments is, is complete without talking about the purpose of the law. The law is expressed uh, a lot through the Old Testament Specifically, the, the summary of the laws and the Ten Commandments, that's found in, uh, found in Exodus. Uh, it's found in, uh, there's parts of it in Leviticus. There's, of course, it's repeated in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Uh, and in essence, all that law, all of those ceremonial laws, all the relationship laws that God laid down for his people, 
those, those are really boiled down in the Ten Commandments. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of different things and how you do things and how, what type of bread can be used and what, uh, what do you do with an animal when they're slaughtered and what do you do with your sins. And there's all sorts of really good things to, to study in the law of the Old Testament and kind of figure out how it relates to us in the New Testament. But those Ten Commandments, are, uh, I found them to be really interesting. What it was not given, though, was a means of salvation. It is inferior to the act of Jesus. Paul made that clear in one of his first recorded speeches. This is in Acts chapter 13. It says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man who has been preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Paul goes on in Romans chapter 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth shall be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. I hope you caught that. The law is important for us to study, to meditate and think of, and I'll show you why. But it's not a redemptive act to follow the law. No flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. All and all, and uh, sorry, to all and all who believe. Galatians 2 says this, Knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Further in Galatians, it also says this, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Did you catch that? If I follow the law explicitly and I am the best rabbi around, I'm not going to be saved I'm not going to be set righteous before God. Galatians 3, uh, continuing in Galatians, But there is no one justified by the law, and the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become cursed for us. So, the question kind of comes about, if we're talking about the law, if we're going to be talking about the Ten Commandments pretty soon, I mean, why, why spend the time in Deuteronomy chapter 5 without specifically looking at the Ten Commandments? Well, why do this? Why take a valuable Sunday morning preaching time? Well, we could, take out, we could be talking about skin cancer. I mean, that, that was a phenomenal children's lesson. We could be talking about uh, all the stuff. that I, I, could, I could fill up a whole hour on what Dennis was sharing this morning. That is powerful and and. So why spend the time on the Ten Commandments? The law still has a purpose. The Ten Commandments still has a purpose. It was designed, its purpose was, is to show their people their sinfulness. In Romans 3.20, it says, As for the, for the, by, uh, by the law is the knowledge of sin. If it wasn't for the law, I wouldn't know what is missing the mark, what is not right with God. Moreover, the law entered, this is Romans 5, moreover, the law entered that the offense might be abound. But where sin abounds, grace abounds much more, much more. And to complete the thought, we're going two chapters farther, Romans 7, 7 says, What shall we say then? 
Is that law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law has said, Thou shalt not covet. 1 Corinthians 15. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Strange statement. It's a strange statement to think about. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. What purpose, then, does the law serve? It was added because of the transgressions. Transgressions, till the seed should come to to him, the promise was made, and it was appointed through the angels by the hand of the mediator. This that was out of Galatians chapter three. As I was saying, it was designed to show people that they were sinners, and then to drive them to the graciousness of God. It was to show we can't live by by God's standards, no matter how much we try. But we can come to God on His terms. But first, the law, even though it's a great tool, it's a school, tool master, it's a great uh, uh, way for us to learn what God wants, it was first given to the nation of Israel. It was their, uh, it was their constitution. It was given to their nation even though it contains moral principles which are valid for everybody today. In Romans 2, it says this, For when Gentiles who do not have the law... By nature, do the things in the law. These, although they not having a law, they are law unto themselves. In other words, it, it's this is the way we are designed. Even if we don't know anything about the law, every culture would know lying is wrong. Every culture would know stealing is wrong. Every culture would know murder is wrong. It is something that God has created us, and it's like the handbook to show us how we were created and why we were created for that. It was a, an evidence to us of man's sinfulness. God used the law to test Israel as a sample of the human race. And Israel's guilt proved that the world is guilty. In Romans 3 it says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth shall be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So every nation has been proven. Every I don't care if they're Papua New Guinean. I don't care if they're from Germany. I don't care wherever they are. They may not be Israelites, but what Israel showed us in the Old Testament is that we're all guilty of sin. If you look at their lives and the history of what Israel did and how they dealt with uh, the law given firsthand by God, by His very own finger, carved it. I'm getting ahead of myself. The law... <laughs> the law uh, had attached to it the penalty of death. In Galatians 3, it says this, For as many are as of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And to break one commandment is to be guilty of all of them, right? James 2, 10, it says this, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one part, he is guilty of all. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor, transgressor of the law. Since people have broken the law, they are under the curse of death. God's righteousness and holiness demanded that the penalty be paid. His death, Christ's death, He died as a substitute for the guilty lawbreakers. Even though he himself was sinless, he did not wave the law aside. Rather, he met the full demands of the law by fulfilling its strict requirements in his life and in his death. Thus, the gospel does not overthrow the law. 
It upholds the law and shows how the law's demand has been fully satisfied by Christ's redemptive work. And please, don't lose yourself in the Christianese of the word gospel. It's the good news. The good news is we are subject to death because the penalty of the law, and you break one of them, you're a lawbreaker. The good news is that has been met. And I'm not going into the whole debate about substitution and, and redemption and all that, but suffice it to say the law demanded a penalty. The penalty was paid. That's the good news. That's the gospel. As John put, um, what is our relationship to the law now? That's a very good question for what we're going to be talking about this morning. What is our relationship to the Ten Commandments? What is our relationship to this law through the Old Testament? As John puts it in 1 John, I'm sorry, he puts it in John 1.16 and in verse 17, and of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Therefore, the person who trusts Christ is no longer under the law, he is under grace. In Romans 6.14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under the grace. He is dead through the law, through the works of Christ. The penalty of the law must be paid only once, since Christ paid the penalty. The believer does not have to. It is in the sense that this law has faded away for the Christians. In 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3, it says this, But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stone, was glorious. So, keep in mind, the law is death. Paul has already made this, uh, this argument in 2 Corinthians by this point. The law is death. And it was glorious, he's saying. It was written on stone. And that stone was glorious. And it couldn't be looked on steadily by the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious has no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if, if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. We, the ministry of death, the, the Ten Commandments, the laws that were given to us, they're glorious. They're from God. They're the story of God's love. His, I've heard it said that the, the meeting on the Mount Sinai with His people is a recording of a wedding. His people to God. I will do this. You will do that. It's the exchanging of vows. It was a wedding. It was a beautiful thing. It was glorious. But that's all passing away. Much more glorious is the relationship that we have with Jesus. The law was our tutor until Christ came. But after salvation, this tutor is no longer needed. Galatians 3 says this, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Not needed for the Christian, but while the Christian is not under the law, that doesn't mean he's lawless. After all, no discussion of the law, the Ten Commandments, is complete without addressing the thousand-pound gorilla that sits in the room. Uh, namely, let's see, Psalm 119 says this, The entirety, the entirety, the in, all of it, the entirety of your word is true. And every one of your righteous judgments endures Forever, Jesus Christ Himself said, "Till heaven and earth pass away, one jot, no uh, one jot nor tittle shall no wise pass uh, uh, from the 
from until they are fulfilled. And yes, Jesus did come to fulfill. He died on the cross. He fulfilled the law. But Christians are, are bound now by a stronger chain than the law because under the law, uh, we're under the law of Christ. In Galatians 6, it says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The Old Testament saints, they were bound by these laws. They had to do this, this, and this. And when they failed, they had to have a sacrifice. We have a sacrifice and we're bound by a stronger law. We're supposed to bear each other's burdens. We're supposed to obey Him. We're supposed to listen to Him. And John 13 says this, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. John 14 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. He... Um, he took away one of my pages so we can just talk. But if we love Him, we're going to follow His commandments. He's, he's the great lover of our souls. He's giving us the ways to be able to show that we can love Him as New Testament believers. Walking in this faith relationship that He was talking about. Now, i I got to ask you a question. In just typing up this sermon and trying to, trying to collect all my thoughts and all these verses and whatnot, I... I, I I wrote this. I wrote, there is still an element of fear to be had in the New Testament believer, but the motivation is love-centered. So we still have this fear of God that's talked about in the New Testament. But I, I was thinking as I was going through this and thinking all these thoughts, but our motivation is love-centered. Well, that agrees with a lot of what we say. And as I typed that, I said, I agree with that. But there's a problem. Consider, though, what is the great command of the Old Testament? What's the Old Testament relationship that we have with God? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is like one God. What else does it say, though? Sorry? Ah, love the Lord with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all their might. But wait, there's also the following. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, it says, Therefore thou shalt love the Lord thy God and keep his charge and his statutes and his judgments and his commands always. <clears throat> a motivation of the Old Testament was also a love that we were to have to God. That's why we follow those commandments. Not because He would destroy us. Not out of that fear. But that fear was there in the Old Testament. And there's a fear in the New Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, uh, in, in, a, in a promise given about uh, what they're about to possess. So that's the last part of the sentence. It'll make better sense if you understand this. This is the promise of God. If you do this, this is what's going to happen for you. Deuteronomy chapter 19, it says, 9, it says this, If thou shalt keep all these commandments to do them, which I command you this day, to love the Lord thy God, and walk ever in His ways, then shalt thou add three more cities uh, besides these. There was, again, a, a fulfillment of promise with a, require, a requirement. In Deuteronomy 30, it says, And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and thy heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. And a bit later in the same chapter, that thou mayest live, love the Lord thy God and that thou mayest obey His voice and that thou mayest cleave unto Him, for He is thy life and the length of thy days and thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swore to thy fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. You know, it's said that, that if you just go by the evidence of the New Testament quotations, the one Old Testament book that Jesus quoted more than any others was Deuteronomy. Where it talks about loving the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, and soul. 
is Deuteronomy. I just wonder if there's a correlation there. God's love. Jesus expressed love over and over again. We all know that He has a loving heart and He, he died because He loves us. Right? It's probably why He quoted Deuteronomy more than any other book. Deuteronomy is, in, in my mind, Deuteronomy, 2 Timothy and Deuteronomy are the two saddest books in the, book, in the Bible because both of them are men who know they're just about to die. And they're imparting the last little bits of wisdom they possibly can before they go be, get beheaded or before he just dies of old age. Uh, what was it, 180 or something? I mean, it's more than just old age. He, God released him uh, uh, in Deuteronomy. But anyway, going as we mentioned from the pulpit, just uh, I was mentioned from the pulpit just the other day from uh, Brother Mike, is that uh, commandments were in the Old Testament, thou shalt and thou shalt not. But in the New Testament, I have done, etc. It was brilliantly said. And yet, has this relationship that we have with the Lord really changed? From the beginning with Adam and his wife, God has asked for a loving, for a loving relationship with his people. He didn't create Adam and Eve so that, he, that they would obey him. He created them so that they would love him. And they would walk in fellowship with him. That was his heart from the beginning. The very purpose of humans being created was that they would have a loving relationship with him. A part of that loving is making choices. And so there had to be a command. Don't touch that tree. There had to be a command because that's part of, of loving. But his, his purpose was for creation was that love. The true command that uh, uh, God has asked for a loving relationship with his people from day one. True that the command to these commands in Deuteronomy is to a separate people. And they were hard, and they were black and white, and they were well-defined. They had to be. They had a group of people walking through the desert, and a lot of them wanted to go back to Egypt, and they wanted to go back to slavery. And he was saying, you know, this is how you're going to be loving me. This is how you're going to be separate. This is how you're going to be having a blessed life. This is how you're going to possess the land, the promise I've given you. But his heart, his cry has always been, let's come and reason together. You know, if you remember the rest of that verse, it says this, uh, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They, though they be red like crimson, they shall be wool. Who, in that verse, does the cleansing? This is Old Testament. This is Isaiah. Who does the cleansing? It's God. He's not saying, go out and kill another lamb. He's not saying, go out and live more holy. Although it is a cry to purity, a good cry for holiness. That, that section of Isaiah, Isaiah is a good study. But in that particular phrase... He's saying, come, let us reason together. You come to me. Though your sins, although you're red, though what's on your hands is blood, what's on your hands is filth, you know, they will be white as snow. I'm going to cleanse. He's, he's, that's a cry for relationship. He's the only one that cleanses. the only one with the power to forgive. So, they, the Old Testament saints, they were to obey out of love to inherit the promise. And we too are called to love, to inherit. He has made a way, but we must walk in it. Again, I'm trying, I'm trying to... Old Testament was, these are thou shalt's and thou shalt not's. But the purpose was he wanted a loving relationship with those people that he said thou shalt and thou shalt not. In the New Testament, he wants a loving relationship and he gives us commands to do. And he says, I did all the stuff that you couldn't do. I have made you righteous. I have cleansed you. Now, thou shalt and thou shalt not. There's, there is just an expression of love. God, 
tried to pour out on His people a desire to obey Me so we can be in a love relationship. Didn't work. So I will make the sacrifice, the penalty for that sin, so that we can walk in love again. What's this? So in the Old Testament law is for a nation of Israel, but they, but, uh, but they are the, the Ten Commandments is a point of reference for them. The, the Ten Commandments was a point of reference and how to love God. You know, in Deuteronomy chapter five, that, that chapter we're about to go over here. This is still the introduction. <laughs> the chapter that we're about to go over, he says this one phrase: talk about capturing the heart of God. Talk about hearing the heart of God. Listen to this phrase of God. He says, oh, anytime God says, oh, right? Oh, he says, oh, that they would have such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all of my commandments that it might be well with them and their children forever. God knew they were about to fail. Him. God knew. But he said, you know, they just made this the statement of well, we're going to hear it in just a few minutes. They make the statement of. Uh, uh, who could be near God? All that power and all that fire and that booming voice. And who could be near that and, and, and live? You tell you what, Moses, you go. <laughs> you go there and you listen to him and you write it all down and we will obey it. We will do what you say because we know it's from God. We've, we've heard the thundering voice. We know it's from God. We obey. And God said, oh, that they just knew what they said right there. If they would just obey that's my heart that they would obey, that we could have this love relationship. Oh, if they could just do that. So if God has this heart and He says, if they would just obey, it's worth it for us to go through the Ten Commandments, to look at them one by one. Maybe not with a heart to follow them, but the heart to say, this is how God wants to be loved. I want to follow it. Not so I could be justified, not be, so I could be saved, not, not so I could be holier. But um, I want to follow the Ten Commandments because He's told me that's why He wants to be loved. Now, I, I, could, I, could, um, I could throw myself on the floor every day and grab my, feet, my wife's feet and rub them as she's doing my bills, as she's, she's writing thank you notes, as she's doing things at her desk. I could do that every day. And, and that, that could be a love language to her. On the other hand, really uncomfortable when you're down there. <laughs> I, feel, I feel this is not right. And, 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 she, and if that wasn't a love language to her, even though in my heart it's like, oh, how can I express more love than that? I'm laying on the floor and I'm rubbing her feet. And I, you know, and, and, but to her, if that's not a love language, that's not a love language. And if God says, this is the way I want to be loved, then it's worth finding out what He has to say. Right? Lord, I want to love you with everything in my heart. That's why I'm going to move to the desert, sell all my stuff, and live in a cave and do nothing but pray and meditate. Eh, okay, maybe. I don't know. Maybe God has called. He certainly has called some people to do that. There's a lot of power in prayer and being separated like that. But um, I don't know. It seems to me that he says go out in the world and tell everybody. It seems to me live a holy life as an example to those around you. It seems to me he wasted a Awful, time, an awful lot of words in the Bible on how to live before others if He wanted us to live in a cave. Is that an expression of love language to God if we're doing what we think is a love language to Him? I don't think so. So I think it's worthwhile. I think it's important that we look at the Ten Commandments. It says, um, uh, let's see, 2 Timothy 3 here, it says, All Scripture is given 
by inspiration of God and is profitable for the doctrine, for reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. And the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now hold on, guys. If you, I've had this conversation with Jeremy. I've had this conversation with other people. In context, if you look at that verse in context, forgive me, he's not talking about the New Testament. In context, he's saying about the Old Testament. That's what he's saying there. He's not talking about his own letters that he's writing. He's not talking about the letters that Peter wrote. He's not talking about what Luke did and all of his good work in the, in the Acts. And in, he's not talking about the New Testament. Now, if God uses that verse to, to, uh, to help us see what the New Testament is, and it's after it's been canonized, and after God has put his stamp of approval on it, fine. But, but in the context of that verse, all Scripture, all the Old Testament, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I think the basis of the Old Testament, the central of the Old Testament, is, is his commands. And the center of his commands, the boiled down summary of his commands, are the Ten Commandments. They are the laws and the constitution of a nation, and I get that, I understand they're historical. But I think... There is an importance that we need to look at the Ten Commandments a little bit closer. The ministry of the law is to unsave people. Yet another reason why we need to be studying the Ten Commandments. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. This is, uh, that's out of 1 Timothy 1.8. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. It's lawful to use. It's lawful use is to produce knowledge of sin and thus lead to repentance. But the law is not for those who are already saved. The law is not made for the righteous person, it says in 1 Timothy 1.9, the next verse, by the way. So this law used, use the law rightfully. The righteousness demanded by the law is fulfilled in those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, Romans 8.4. The law, if you go through the Sermon on the Mount, of course we all know this. This is kind of the basis of how we would separate ourselves from the, the Protestant churches, if you will. The, the law that was given in the Sermon on the Mount, he takes it one step farther, right? He says, lest your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, who did it all for show. There was no love there between the, the Pharisees and God. There was at one point. Boy, if you read the Maccabees, if, you're, if you go through the... That's where the Pharisees came from. There was a zeal and a love for the Lord that birthed all these rules and regulations. They wanted to love God with everything in them, and they wanted their children to love them, so they wrote down all these rules. But, um, but by the time Jesus was there, that was so corrupted, and the enemy was able to so persuade them that the love relationship that the Pharisees had was with themselves. They weren't looking to God any longer. And so um, when we look at the New Testament and we look at these things, they're dealing with that. They're dealing with the, is it a real love or is it a fake love? Is it a love to the right things? And, and so when Jesus goes to the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you've got to exceed those righteousness of those guys. Check this out. I, when, I, when I say don't murder, when God said don't murder, when the Ten Commandments, when the law says don't murder, I'm saying don't even hate. Right? He says uh, don't commit adultery. I'm saying don't even look with lust. It, so he raises that bar. We've, we've heard those teachings so many times, I don't need to do it. But he raises it. Uh, and I think that's important to us. If we think, if Paul has taught us through his letters that the law is no longer for us because we're righteous now in, in God through grace, that the law is no longer righteous for us, then, um, then why did Jesus spend so much time in the Sermon on the Mount? 
Why did he raise that bar? I think, I think it's because it's not that he wanted higher things for us to obey. I think he wanted to get how we can love God deeper. So I, I'm about to turn the page here. I'm almost officially done with the intro uh, to this, to the sermon, to Deuteronomy chapter 5. And I just ask, when we go through Deuteronomy chapter 5, remember that. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying these are the things that are going to make us righteous. I think Jesus had the clue. He had, he had the answer to us here in the Sermon on the Mount. He said this. He said, don't, don't just do it. Be it. Because this is important. This is how we love God. This is how we do it right. Please do it right. That was his heart. So, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Starting with verse 1. I, uh, I'm pretty sure that I did this whole study in New King James. My apologies. Hopefully it's close enough to King James that you can follow. But Deuteronomy chapter 5, a little bit of Moses' introduction before we get into the Ten Commandments. And Moses called all of Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your hearing today, that you may learn them and be careful to observe them. I have to say that again to you guys. We're listening to these things because we want to be careful to observe them, not because we want to increase our righteousness. Can I leave you with nothing else today than that? We're not to increase our righteousness by following these laws and standards. But we get to learn how to love God. We get to learn how to have that loving relationship with God the way He wants to do it. So as we look, go down through the commandments, how does this reflect? How does this work with us? So but a few things I want to point out about this particular verse is I meditated on chapter or verse 1 there. Moses called all, the, all Israel. Let's just look at this real closely. Who was calling them? Moses. Now see, Moses didn't come out of Israel, the victorious leader. He didn't come out into the desert and he parted the water and, and he did all these miraculous things and all the wisdom and all the humbleness that Moses expressed. This story takes place after Moses' big failure. God said, I want to move you into that promised land. Now you're, you're going to go in there and, and then Moses blew it. He sinned. He didn't even know how badly he sinned until afterwards. And, and he mentioned, it breaks your heart if you read Deuteronomy. He talks about his sin. He says, I, I begged with God, but he, he said, no, I'm not to enter that land. The consequences were heavy. I would like to think that that Moses did enter the land after he died during the trans, um, that transfiguration. I'm, I'm not sure. There's a debate about that, whether that was inside or outside of the promised land or not. But I, I would like to think that God reserved that for him. But all that aside, have you experienced a failure in your life? Brother, have you ever blown up your children? <laughs> Sister, have you ever... Um, said the wrong word to another sister and you knew that this was wrong, I shouldn't have said that. You know, guys, have you, have you ever just got really angry? Have you ever had a lustful thought? Have you ever had... I mean, go on and on and down the list. Have you ever failed God? If you have, think about it. Moses failed God so much that he was denied the ultimate promise. He couldn't cross the land. And yet, out of all the people in Israel... He was the one person that could go up in the mountaintop where God's voice was so thunderous and the fire so hot and the finger of God so sharp that it could cut into metal or cut into a stone. He was the one person that could go. 
If you've had a failure in life, take comfort in the thought of Moses. You can still be used. You can be used in a mighty way if you've had a failure in your life. So, the recollection of, of the upcoming speech was done after the moment in time when he had failed God, yet he was still leading. He was still had a role to play. He still had a trust. Uh, he still had the trust of God to be the mouthpiece for himself, for God Almighty. Consequences of the Lord does not mean being cast out. If you have a humble heart, you can still be used. Second, he called all of Israel, not just the rulers of the thousands, not over the hundreds, not over the tens, not every uh, woman, uh, but every woman, every child was called to hear and to remember. That's important in this verse. And Moses called all of Israel. He didn't just call the pastors. God doesn't just speak to the people that stand behind his pulpit. Sisters, do you hear that? <laughs> God speaks through you. He called all of Israel and he said, these are the words of God. All of Israel, not just the representatives to be handed down and handed down and handed down. But God wanted that relationship. He wanted it crystal clear. He said that there's a holiness and there's a man that I prepared to hear that holiness and that, that tight relationship with the fire and the booming the voice and all that. There's a holiness there that, that uh, Moses has to stand before me. That's that's exciting. And there's priests and there's things like that. But I want everybody to hear this. This is super important. All of Israel come and hear what I have to say. And Moses was able to, to share that with them. He called all of Israel. Third, the statutes and the judgments. There is a difference. These aren't just making it flowery. There's a reason he uses both of those. Uh, laws uh, are governing rules for society to live by in order and accountability. They are handed down from the bench and from the officials, judgments are decisions, conclusions, rulings, verdicts. They are, they are uh, even opinions. God is giving the law, but he's also giving his mind about it. So as we go through Deuteronomy chapter 5, as we think about these verses, remember that. There is a law, and then there's a commentary built in. He wants to share, particularly the fourth, the fourth uh, uh, command. And i got to tell you right now, when we get there, probably next week, Lord willing, I don't know where I am on the fourth commandment. I've told my family I don't know where I'm on the fourth commandment. Uh, after reading the fourth commandment, I'm thinking maybe I'm looking at it wrong. All my life I've been looking at it wrong. But he gives commentary, and it's that commentary that's the problem. <laughs> if he just said, this is what you need to do, it's like, okay, how do I put that in a New Testament context? And I'll do it. Uh, but he gives his commentary, and that, that's just hard for me. So we'll, we'll get there when we get to verse 4, Lord willing. But, uh, but anyway, he gives the statutes and he gives the judgment. He gives the laws and he gives his commentary. When we're reading through it, let's be looking for what God has to say, the important parts about what he has to say. Um, fourth, that you may learn from them. God's laws are not to be embroidered on a dish towel. They're not to be uh, hung, hanging from some, some cupboard door. They're not to be up on a wall, uh, cross-stitched and, and just up there. They're not even to be in front of a, of a high school etched in a rock and I'm all for God's word being in every public space I'm all for that but that's not the bottom line for him he, he wants you to know them and learn them if they're on the towel hanging on the cupboard door go grab them and have them as a family devotion every now and then if they're at the public school and before the, the, the people get a chance to tear it down and do all the things they knew to, to make you know, life more equal 
whatever. Um, go have a Bible study in front of those Ten Commandments in front of that school or the courthouse or wherever they're at. But they are to be learned. They are not just a, yeah, I got the Ten Commandments in my pocket. You know, I got one of those little Ten Commandment things in my wallet or a, a coin that has stamped on it. And I got it, so I'm, I'm safe. No, he wants you to not only know them, but to learn them. That's what he says in that verse. And be careful to observe them. Deuteronomy chapter uh, 5, verse 2. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at, at Heron, or Horon. Horeb, sorry. Had a hard time trying to figure out how to pronounce a lot of the words in there. Uh, I think, uh, I'm thinking I'm going to do this one verse and then I'm going to call it. Because I actually this one verse is pretty long, so let's just think about it. Uh, the Lord our God made a covenant with us at this place. So he's looking back. So let's just... Let's look back with him. God's referring to their wedding day. Let's go through Exodus chapter 24, if you'll allow me. Now he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Naab and Abihu, and 70 of the uh, elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up to him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice, saying, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar in the foot of the mountain and, uh, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it on the basin, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then that's that's a, if it truly was a wedding ceremony, just think about all the blood and the smell and all that. I mean, he, he, it was a, but it was still a beautiful thing. It was God saying, "I want, I want to be one with you. I want a relationship with you." Anyway, then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people, and they said, "All the Lord has said, we will do, and we uh, and be obedient." There's that, those vows exchanged, right? And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. And from our point of view, guys, isn't that beautiful? That's the blood of Jesus. That's the blood of Jesus. But this wasn't the only reference to this mountain. Did you know that God first made himself known to Moses at this mountain? Now, it might have been a mountain range. It's like... The Rockies. And so is in Colorado versus being up in Washington someplace. But does it go to Washington or is it Montana? Wherever. Um, it may be in a mountain range. But my understanding, my reading of this was this is the same place that Moses is out in the backside of the desert with the sheep. And it was a burning bush. Well, neat. How neat that this whole ceremony happened. The same place where, where the whole exodus out of Egypt started. What a neat full circle. Uh, now Moses was tending the flock of Jericho with his father-in-law and the priests of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and uh, and came to Horeb, Horeb, sorry, Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire from the midst of the bush. And so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning in the fire, but the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, "I will now turn and see this great sight." Thy, uh, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him in the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. From, that, uh, from the great failure of Moses, uh, uh, did, and also the great failure of Moses happened in this mountain too. Isn't that interesting? God spoke to him first time. 
God spoke to him and, and he failed him at this mountain. And now God's giving him the words of his Ten Commandments, his, his relationship with his people, how, how he wants to be loved, all at the same place. Take the rod that you and your brother Aaron gathered the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its waters. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give them drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, and he commanded him as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels! Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly. And the congregation and the animals drank. And the Lord spake to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me, to hollow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. We know this is the same place because in Exodus 17, describing the same situation, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in, in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock with water, and water will come out of it. You will strike the rock, and water will come out of it, and the people may drink. So, there's, there's a good study here, and I'm not going to do it, waste our valuable time here. There's a good study about uh, why in the two different sections if you guys ever think about this he told him to speak to the rock one time and then he tells him to strike the rock another time and we find out the striking the rock was a sin but he told him to strike the rock oh, there's all sorts of good reasons number one he struck the rock twice he never told him to do that in the in the version he says where you're to strike it if you um if you heard when i got literally loud there he moses took the opportunity to chew people out you rebels and and who did he give credit to must we bring water out of this rock and God says, hey, you didn't give me the glory. I'm the provider, not you. And you did this in anger. This, this, this is not about anger. This is about provision. This is about God's loving relationship with his people. What in the world? And, um, and there's, a, there's a great commentary. Again, I'm not, I, I, we're going to end here, but there's a great commentary that, that talks about this a little bit. He said that, remember, Moses is the one that wrote all these accounts. The fact that Moses wrote an account where... Uh, he was told to, to strike the rock might be just the way he remembered it when he was writing it because he's human. Moses was human. And, and, and God said, speak to it. He didn't say anything about striking it. And later he struck it and then maybe, well, you know, I think he did say something about striking it. And he wrote, I'm not saying the Bible's full of errors. But just remember it was written by a man and it's just the important, the important thing is that he gave himself glory. He didn't give God glory. So, Anyway, I, between now and next Sunday, if you guys could do me a favor, if you could look at Deuteronomy chapter 5. We're, we're pausing here on verse 3, and um, I've been graciously allowed to, to do one more Sunday, again, Lord willing, uh, something might happen. Um, but I've been graciously allowed to go on uh, and finish this. I would like you guys to look ahead. Look at Deuteronomy Five. Look at the Ten Commandments and go through those. I'm not going to be able to say much about the fourth one because I don't know where I I, I don't know if I could teach something I don't quite understand even slightly. Um, but look at the fourth commandment and and look all the rest of the commandments and be thinking about this again. Most people think the Ten Commandments are Thou shalt and Thou shalt not. But look at it this way. This is how you love me, and this is how you show you don't love me. If you look at it that way and kind of read it and dwell on it and think about it like I have for a while now, um, then I think we can kind of be a, a lot 
sharing together next Sunday when we go through the rest of these. But uh, it has been a fascinating study. The words, some of the words in here, we're about to we're about to hit one. Uh, well, I won't go ahead, but we're about to hit some of the actual commandments. Uh, they're so exciting. They are so exciting. If you just look, think about the words, the, the specifically the Greek words that were used in the, in the Greek Old Testament, the Hebrew words used in the Hebrew Testament and how God preserved these things. The words are really fascinating. The way they said it, the things they've said and the subtle things, they're just amazing. Dwell on it a little bit. Devote at least one quiet time, please, out of the Ten Commandments. So, Father, Lord, it is, it is an amazing thing that not only, Lord, that your, your word is a light unto our feet and a, and a light unto our path that we won't stumble and we won't fall. Not only is it that, Lord, but we're reminded this morning, and I, and I hope, Lord, we're reminded every day that your words are not just an instructional manual. They are love letters. You love us. I don't know why. I don't know why, God. We are so rebellious. We are so contrary. We are such a poor witness on this earth. Um, but yet you, you, you chose us. You love us. You, you have made a way for us to be able to love you back. You're an amazing, amazing God. And we thank you, Lord, for meeting us where we're at and, and, and bringing us out of filth and, and helping us, Lord, walk to, in a way that's more glorifying to you. Lord, we, uh, we're thankful for the Ten Commandments. You, you opened up just a little window into your heart on how to love you. You don't just say, love me. You say, this is how I want to be loved. Help us, Lord, to have a heart to love you, to desire you, to follow you, to do what you called us to do. In Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for my ramblings. That I know you would much rather be thinking about fishing. <laughs> but, very good. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> can anybody remember what he said? If there is one thing you can remember from this sermon, what was the one thing? Yes, to look at the, the Ten Commandments and the law as God saying, this is the way I want to be loved. I thought as he was preaching, I was thinking of my wife if when we got married. I said, you know, I could really be loved if you would just make me sugar-free things. Just don't put, you know, God said, don't put any leaven. <laughs> so me, it's sugar, right? It just corrupts it. And um, make me lots of vegetables every meal. And, and uh, can you imagine when she was at the store and she was buying, she was thinking to herself, if I don't make the sugar-free thing, I might get kicked out. He might divorce me and go find another woman. How unhealthy. And even worse, if she'd think, I need to make the sugar-free stuff so that Phoebe, you know, when she sees me and comes over, she'll think I'm a good wife. <laughs> well, that's really what these Jews were doing, as Brother Bob was saying. You know, they started off with such fervor, these Maccabeans. But then by the time Jesus comes on the scene, they were just making it for their friends. You know, they were just doing it in the eyes of men. Um, or have you ever been in the place where you think about it from the eyes of yourself that I don't get kicked out? Versus as Brother Bob brought out, how can we love him? You know, 
the best way Stephanie could do that is to have that heart. I want to do that stuff because I love Jeremy. And he brought out that verse that said, oh, that they would have such a heart that they would love me. And as he was preaching that, I thought, that is what the New Testament is. Brother Mike said it. I will give them a heart, right? It won't be stony. It will be a flesh heart. I will put a heart in them. That's what the whole new covenant was about, was Jesus bringing in a way to bring us a heart that does do these things because we love him. So let's, Sam, if you could have a song ready, and let's just open it up for a minute. What stood out to you? What things the Lord bless you in? feel like I'm going to have to pull a Glenn. Somebody else have something to sit up to them?
Thank you. Praise him in the congregation, it says. All right. Well, why don't we stand? Um, Sam, if you could lead us in a song. And Benjamin, can you close in a word of prayer, please? Thank you. Uh, We turn to number 375. Number 375. Oh, hold on, sorry. We're missing the first and the last verse.